Welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of the Inside Out Podcast. In this episode, we'll be speaking to our various guests on the importance of having a vision. They're going to talk about how their vision for themselves changed over time and what it means to adapt in the face of changing circumstances. We can sometimes be so committed to our own ideas about where we're going and what we want it to look like and how we want it to feel and all those good things that we lose sight of the opportunities that we have to fail forward into our vision. All of the guests seem to have a pretty clear idea of their vision for their lives. Whether that was being rich or being creative or changing the world, their journeys inevitably ended up nothing like what they envisioned. That doesn't invalidate the need to have a vision. In fact, it might even make it that much more important. It just means we should prepare our hearts and minds for the things that will shake us, push us, mold us, and guide us into how we want to live our lives. I am very excited that I got the opportunity to talk to my BFFL, my bestie, Efwa Enswa, who is a boss at uh, the World Bank. Um, she's pri all things private sector, all things having to do with basically how do you finance really big and complicated projects and how do y'all make money? That's Anyway, that's my interpretation of what she does. Um, so yeah, let's listen to a little bit of her story as it relates to visioning. In grad school, I went to grad school very early. I only took off one year between undergrad and grad school. Um, and it, the funny thing is a, fr a really close friend of mine from undergrad, she had a very same makeup as me. Um, and she had gone and done a fellowship right after uh, undergrad, which I ended up doing the same fellowship, but I did mine in Ghana where she does hers in Latin America. Um, and so when I was there, I was just auditing courses. This was actually in Ghana and I was auditing courses at Legon and I did a couple internships, but I realized I'd like this nexus of business and government. Um, however, from my exposure, I was working with my aunt's um, HR firm and I was helping with the philanthropic side. I thought that I was going to change the world with CSR, um, and that's corporate social responsibility. So even though I was interested in this nexus of business and government, I saw it as businesses can be leveraged with what they're already doing um, in terms of their philanthropic giving to the community that they're in to pair that up with government and their development objectives. And we can all have kumbaya and it can be all great. So when I started at um, Harvard Kennedy School, my interest was I did a, a master's in public policy with a concentration on business and government policy. And my interest was CSR. So I was going to do CSR and CSR was going to save the world. I even did my internship um, in the Liberian government um, in the president's office. And they had this philanthropic arm and I, I interned there. And my thesis at the end of the Kennedy School was on CSR, essentially. How can government leverage strategically CSR for development purposes. And then I graduated and, I, and a series of things happened. Um, I also decided I wanted to start in the private sector so I could understand what private sector wants, how they roll. And that's when I started at GE. 
Um, and I worked in finance um, and I did uh, some stints in the oil and gas uh, division and the energy division. Um, and I realized I didn't want to stay here as quickly as I came in. So I left about, you know, two years in or so. Um, and I wanted to go straight to international development. Um, but in that time, being in that atmosphere, I realized that CSR, it was not going to change the world. And so when I went to the World Bank, it was more of let me see from the arm of what the international institutions are doing um, and see if I can assist in this manner, which is in general, for people who don't know, the World Bank um, gives loans to governments to implement development projects. In gist, that's what we do. And so that's how I have evolved into where I am. I kept true to my vision of leveraging private sector for development. Mm. It just not on their philanthropic side. Mm. Now I'm in the business of um, addressing risk for private sector infrastructure, private sector projects to take place mm. and assisting government to create enabling environments for private sector to come in. So I've always been on the side of private sector can assist in development strategically if yeah. you're doing it right. Yeah. Um. Ephra had a very clear idea of what she wanted to accomplish and thought she knew how she was going to get there. Um, but you know what they say about the best laid plans. Being open to trying new things, learning new skills, and working in diverse settings, even if not what you originally envisioned, for example, HR and then finance, allows you to feel your way through the darkness and draw you closer to the light. So now we're going to, you know, talk with Sharon, Sharon Faritia. And like Efwa, Sharon also found herself in a place that was very different from where she envisioned herself being. Um, we can all relate to being in roles that we, you know, feel did not use us in our best capacity or that did not allow us to thrive. And I love Sharon's um, honesty, really, about being in a place that's nothing like where you thought you were going to be um, and really trying to dig yourself out of what seems like a dark hole of misery in the workplace. <laughs> that sounded really morose and sad. I assure you it was not that gray. But let's listen to what Sharon has to say. So I definitely, I just remember being miserable, mm. being in background check. Like, mm. it just wasn't what I wanted to do. I'm, you know, no, I'm not even going to hold you. Like, I'm like, I didn't go to Cornell to be, mm -hmm. <laughs> to be in the background yeah. check team. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I really felt like I was being underutilized and I was not proud of the work that I was doing. And to be, to, you know, I, I work at a very uh, well-known um uh, firm company and so you know I would say the company that I worked at but I wasn't proud about what I was doing mm. you know so I, I always had challenges kind of reconciling mm. that um so for me but I also knew that I had to do well at this job to be considered for another opportunity because mm -hmm. if I sucked in my role I would not be able to, to transfer right, anywhere right. right so I knew I had to still deliver um deliver as an analyst in this role I thought it was funny that uh, <laughs> that Sharon was saying that, you know, she did not go to Cornell to be 
<laughs> checking backgrounds. And look, hey, you know, I respect that kind of honesty because many of us are in places currently um, where we do feel like, hey, I have really worked hard. I've done this. I have these experiences. I've been here, etc. Why am I still doing this like super basic, super down below th- stuff? Um, but I really appreciate that, you know, she showed us that there's still value for the vision in the doldrums, in the holes. I don't know why I'm still stuck on the dark twisted here, but in the sad and morose and depressing places um, of corporations or countries or organizations, wherever we find ourselves, there is still something that you can glean from the experience that will take you on your journey to your vision. Um, and so that that was really prominent in what Sharon had to say. And enter Jalen. Jalen is my BFF from undergrad. We have known each other for so long. We were in the same major. And she is such a resilient woman. She, um, you know, is so even keeled and just like really knows how to, you know, you want to talk about having a vision and being derailed. I think uh, Jalen is a great example of that Um, in this snippet, I asked her, she shared with us her experience of um, losing her first job after undergrad. You know, you just graduated, you're super excited to have an opportunity, and then you get into that space, and a couple of months later, you're told, actually, this whole entire institution is crumbling, and you, you know, uh, last in, first out. So she found herself in in the big city, New York City, without a job, And I asked her, what was the impact of that on her vision? And here's what she said about really bouncing back and uh, reclaiming the vision that she had. Yeah, sure. So I think that um, it was a combination of my spirituality and my and just logic. Um, Mm. So I, you know, from a from a spiritual standpoint, um, I was certainly raised to have faith and, and when circumstances become very difficult, um, understand and know that it's not going to last forever. Um, and it's normally preparation for something bigger and better. So from that Mm -hmm. standpoint, I feel like I was able to remain calm in a situation where a lot of other people were really losing their minds. In fact, I was so calm. I remember my manager asking me, Jalen, are you okay? Because (laughs) you are extremely calm right now. Are you just holding everything inside? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm fine. Um, Mm. And, and and, uh, because I had that, that calmness and that, that confidence um, that, there was something beyond, you know, bigger than my circumstances that would always guide me and lead me and protect me. I felt like I was able to look at it from a very logical standpoint. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, I had just graduated from college. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, seriously, Jalen, is this going to really be the last career you ever have? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, um, I'm, I'm in a very different situation than some other people who have been working at this company for like, you know, 30 some years and they've got their whole retirement and everything, you know, rolled up into this one entity, you know, now is my opportunity to kind of take what I'm seeing here and make some different decisions for myself. Mm. 
I love that Jalen brought up her spirituality because I think that that's something that's very important in the visioning process is to, to make room, as they say, for the magic, making room for that which cannot be explained, the divine, that which is above and, you know, outside of us. And here Jalen was really relying on that. Um, you know, I love what she said about um, the fact that, yeah, this is not going to be the last career that I have. This is not going to be the last opportunity that I have. And so I am really invested in, you know, keeping my spirits high and keeping my eye on the prize and knowing that another opportunity will present itself. So kudos to Jalen for having that insight at 21, because if it was me, I mean, I remember when I moved to Ghana, I was 25. And Within four months, I had lost the opportunity that brought me to Ghana. So here I was in a place, you know, that was completely different for me just geographically, um, even if it was familiar in the, you know, cultural sense and without a job. And I'm like, "Um, okay, God, did you bring me here to embarrass me or? But thankfully, you know, as Jalen said, Exactly as she said, it's not your last career, it's not your last opportunity. Um, and so that was a really good uh, lesson for us in terms of visioning. Now we have Madame Nana Spiogarbra. I mean, I'll let her introduce herself and tell you what her journey has been. Um, but I find her story quite remarkable because she has ended up on a path that was kind of what she originally intended, but the journey there was not at all what she envisioned. My name is is Nana Spielgabra, and um, I currently work for a multilateral development bank. I'm in my ninth year with the institution, the longest um, place I've stayed career-wise to date. Um, but I guess my journey in this space started in undergrad. So um, I attended Georgetown University, Hoya Blaxa, And at the time of applying to colleges, I was applying randomly. You know, at that time, I wasn't um, completely sure of myself. And my parents saw my selection for schools and were like, what, you know, what, what are you doing? So they gave me a list of all the Ivy League schools and all the top rated uh, universities in the U.S., Emory, um, Dartmouth, Georgetown, UPenn. So I applied to 12 schools. I got into nine. I was shocked. I didn't know what was going on. I had decided um, very squarely on attending University of Pennsylvania. I had already spoken to my roommate. Um, they gave me a full ride. And then Georgetown University came. And my dad saw Georgetown University and I had gotten into the School of Foreign Service, which is um, a very prestigious school for diplomacy and international relations. It's where uh, former President Bill Clinton went. And my dad being, um, you know, an international civil servant himself and career diplomat was like, yep, sorry, you're going to Georgetown. So... That was the beginning of the journey into development. So I studied um, international um, economics in undergrad. Then I went on to University of London immediately um, and did an intensive course at uh, the School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS. So I did that back to back. Um, So it was a one-year intensive program. I was actually the 
first class graduating with the degree of finance, finance and development. They had just um, launched that uh, program. And then the funniest thing happened. I graduated from school and went into private sector. Did absolutely nothing with development for five years. Look, vision ain't cheap, y'all. And in her case, it seems that though her ideas were supported by her parents and she seemed really content in her decision, something else lay at the end of her academic career. Right now, we're experiencing a pandemic, and it seems there's always a disaster looming that could impact our ability to reach our destination. And sometimes it's not a disaster, but a strange social dilemma, like needing experience to get experience. We can all relate to seeing job descriptions that ask you for things that you wouldn't get unless, you know, someone gave you the chance to get the things. So what do you do then? I'll let Nana talk about her experience with this. Um, at the time that I was graduating, the financial crisis was bubbling. And so jobs were a bit um, scarce. Or let me not say scarce, but it was very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um. And obviously, Sally May was on my back from my Georgetown years. So I was very keen to not be in debt. I hate debt. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of the actual investment banks and places I was applying to wanted people who understood Africa, right? So they wanted people who understood emerging markets. Emerging market desks were like, um, they were you know, in. So everyone was building up their emerging markets and things were moving from Asia more towards Africa and Latin America. Mm. And so they wanted that skill set. But that being said, I did apply to the, you know, development community jobs. But um, (laughs) shockingly, the development community jobs would all say, well, do you have experience working in Africa? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I'm African. I live there. Is that not enough? And surprisingly, it wasn't. Um, And so I was rejected consistently from the development community for not having experience. So yeah, I went to private sector um, a bit by default. I was just applying everywhere. Um, And I got my job at IBM, which was my first job out of grad school through my cousin. So they had a referral program. My cousin was there. He recommended me and I went through the assessment center process. And that's how uh, my life in management consulting began. But I was still in the, I, re- I returned to the Washington DC area. And um, because again, I wanted to be near the World Banks, the Millennium Challenge Corporations, all the you know big name um, development institutions. So I continued to apply even when I was in management consulting, um, even after I transitioned from IBM to Deloitte, I continued to apply, continued to apply, but kept getting the same refrain. You've never worked in Africa. Mm. So um, after five years, I applied to the institution that I'm at now, which is African Development Bank. And after Mm -hmm. three tries, you know, people don't know this. I didn't get in on my first um, attempt. 
I tried three times or applied three times to their young professionals program and finally got in. And that's how, um, yeah, that's how my development career began. Now, that's quite the story, isn't it? First of all, I just want to say that shout out to her for being at the same place for nine years. Because in this world, if you want to make more money, you have to move. You have to move. You give yourself like three to five years and then you're out. But if an organization creates a space where you can be innovative, where you can grow, where you can actually make more money, that's dope. So I think even just hearing that, that's a real testament to skill, to innovation, both on her part and on the organization's part. But also the relationship between where she started at her prestigious civil service school and then where she actually ended up at a private firm is something Effa also kind of spoke to. We have a tendency to put ourselves in boxes very early. I want to be a CSR professional. I want to be a civil servant. I want to be that. But why? Sometimes the better question is not where do I want to be or what do I want to be? God, let's retire that question to the children. But rather, What do I actually want to physically or mentally do? And how do I want to live even in navigating unexpected circumstances? That is like, what would I feel fulfilled doing? And I I do want to also say that sometimes when we talk about fulfillment, it can be kind of feel good because you're like, oh, well, not everything that we do is going to feel good. Not everything that we do we're going to like. But I mean, the point really is, do are the things that you're doing valuable to you to where you want to go you know like whatever the metric is if the thing that you're doing is not of value to you if it's not taking you somewhere like why so yes i want to be a civil servant then you get to civil service and you realize nothing you're doing is of value so how you for doing like what do you do then right so that's why i think you know listening to both nana and effa was really interesting for me because they it shows you that the box that you create for yourself in the beginning inevitably will be broken somewhere on the journey, thankfully. And then you get the opportunity to actually step into where it is that you can grow, where it is that you can be innovative, where it is that you can learn. And and that's what's important. My next guest is someone I personally relate to as a creative adjacent, right? Like someone who's like perfectly left-brained and right-brained, where it's like we can work in the box, but why limit ourselves to the box? Um, And that bodes really well in the corporate space uh, where he, you know, has worked in energy, where he has worked um, in finance and business development. And so I'm excited for him to share his thoughts on vision. Well, um, the vision I have for myself would have a lot more zeros at the, you know, my bank account. But I think for me, that vision has changed a little bit. Um, and, and and I'll give you context. So growing up, I I was a bit of a creative. But some ways, some, you know, along the line, you know, growing up in the Ghanaian context and what have you, that was almost beat, beaten out of me. And so I found, my, found mm-hmm. myself being very, you know, business-oriented, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that followed through, you know, my late, later years in high school through to university. But it was not when I, it was only when I went into the working world that I started to rediscover um, that. Um, but now I had the advantage of having, you know, sort of that business training, that assistant orientation that I could bring to bear on creativity. So although I had lost my, um, you know, my ability to create, if you will, um, now had this thing where um, I now thought 
you know, in terms of systems, processes, um, goals and objectives that I could then marry with, you know, people that were working in a creative space to say, okay, how can we put a bit of structure around what you're doing to, um, to get it where it needs to be? So that's just a, you know, a long-winded way of saying, um, it, it, you know, to answer your question, it depends w where you start from. So if this matches my vision from when I was a kid, no. Does it match yeah, my vision sure. from... You know, when I was even in college, probably not. Does it match my vision from, let's say, the last, you know, seven years ago? I'd say this is, I'm pretty much on track um, um, in that regard, being able to do yeah. both my creation, you know, being creative as well as being business oriented in the things that I do. Our next guest is Josephine Lobby, who is the MTN Regional Marketing Manager. What's interesting about her take on visioning is she's talking about what happens before career. And I know a lot of, for a lot of us, our identity and how we thought about our vision for ourselves and our lives came from, you know, before uni when we said we'd grow up to be this and we'd go this, that path, so on and so forth. But Josephine's story is really interesting because it tells us what happens when obviously life throws you. Okay, so, um, I know this will sound a bit cliche, but um, I intended to be a lawyer. Okay. So, um, I mean, that was when I was growing up. That's basically what I wanted to do. But um, after leaving um, secondary school, I decided to um, branch into business. So I really wanted to learn marketing then after um, secondary school. But um, that year, they we got a lot of um, people doing so well. So they had to um, sort of um, cut um, a lot of people coming into the um, business administration um, department. So I did make the cut. And um, I was given mathematics, political science, sociology, and theater arts. So um, I'm sure if you've studied the Ghanaian system, mm. you actually do not even get what you want sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I just had to make do with um, <laughs> the lemons that I was given. Mm -hmm. So um, I ended up um, finishing with um, sociology and political science. So based on that, um, I, I basically like was thrown off my game because I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do then. I was a bit confused, didn't know if I should just maybe do a master's in marketing or whatnot. So I just decided to um, start working. And um, the first job I got was in sales and marketing. Um, we're selling um, Four Cousins wine. We, um, the distributors were in Ghana um, at that time. So I had that job and then I moved into um car selling and marketing and then I moved into another marketing um, field so I just developed the love um, for it as I was like moving and working throughout the jobs and um, yeah and it, it, it just um, landed me here and I realized that I do love um, marketing I do love events coordination and I love project management so yes that's where we are now so Josephine didn't make the cut for the marketing major she originally wanted and ended up in sociology and political science. Those would have been my dream majors. And if I could do it all over again, I would have definitely done exactly that. But, you know, one man's trash, another man's treasure. Um, and so here's the case where you've planned your whole life and you think, I I'm going to be a marketing major. And then you get thrown in a completely different direction. 
So what do you do then? What happens when you're thrown off your game? How do you cope? And in our system, and by our, I'm in Ghana now, so I'm talking about the Ghanaian system, making it through JHS and SHS, it, it is a very sort of like narrowing experience where it's like the more the higher you go, the more narrow you're focused in. And then once you graduate, it's almost like if you don't do that exact thing, you can't do anything. Um, which feels very limiting, right? Like if that was your vision and then you didn't meet it, where do you go from there? I think this episode proves what we all know to be true. No matter how your vision looks, there will always be something that knocks you off course. This is an inevitability. It's not avoidable. So in the case of Nana and Josephine, there were external, almost institutional barriers that stopped them from moving forward. And then with Kobe and Effa, you know, these are more like personal decisions in terms of how they saw themselves evolving and growing based on their career paths. But I guess the point here is that no matter how you get knocked off, your vision is your guiding light. It'll bring you back to the path. And that path is not going to look like what you thought it was going to look like and that we have to accept that. That an important part of setting a vision is accepting that the journey to the vision is not going to be what you thought it would be. So your homework is this. Either you can get the book, What Colors Your Parachute. I love that book. They make they come out with an edition every single year. But I like it because the whole point of the book is to create this flower. And the flower asks you questions that I think you may not necessarily ask yourself when you're thinking of your vision. And by answering those questions, you know, it makes it like whatever your vision is that you end up with. Um those petals are like the guide. You know, the vision is in the middle and those petals are like, nope, get back here. Nope, get back there. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's why I like the book. So either get the book, What Colors Your Parachute, or do a life mapping exercise. So when I was in graduate school, um, the school that I went to um, had a free life coach which shout out the European education system because I was I did not have a life coach in the U.S. Part of that experience was doing a life map. Now, you don't need a coach to do a life map, but the life map experience is really important. So what a life map is, is it allows you to, you literally like draw a road and then on the road, you identify all of these really momentous occasions on, you know, that journey. And then you craft a story about those occasions, you know, like who you were, what was happening. You can talk about what you learned, but it doesn't even have to be that explicit, just like, you know, a map of your life. And as you reflect on that map, you start to see kind of like how you failed forward and how the different skills and experiences that you had led you to this place where you may or may not have, you know, envisioned for yourself, well, where you may have envisioned for yourself. And then how similar types of experiences can lead you to your next position. Because the whole point of me going to the life coach was I was finishing graduate school and I literally had no idea <laughs> what I was going to do next. I was, I think I said this in, the, in season one too. I think I was also running away from a man. So I was like, how can I do something I want to do, but not in the same location as this person? Anyway, so whether you get the book or whether you do the life map, I think both of those are important because they remind us that 
one, you know, in the journey, whatever it looks like, you know, we are going to have twists and turns. But then two, there is a guide. Like there's a guiding light of like what feels good. Like, does this make sense for me? Am I moving in the right direction? Even if it's not exactly where I thought it would be, is there something I can absorb from this? So on and so forth. And I think at this point, as we're talking about vision, it's all about, you know, not being battered and bruised and saddened by the fact that like, I'm not where I thought I would be. I'm not you know, where what I envisioned for myself is not happening exactly as I thought it would be. Um, and like having FOMO basically for a life that you never have, ex- you know, for a life that you expected to experience but aren't experiencing. So yeah, homework. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to the Inside Out by Ama G podcast, a podcast all about entrepreneurship. If you'd like to learn more about me, Ama G, visit my website, www.amabwaje.com and follow me on Twitter at Ama underscore Bwaje and Instagram at A Abwaje. This podcast was recorded at the Stabakra with creative direction, scripting and editing by Evans Kafuyofori, mixing and mastering by Joshua Ajaman, and music produced by Reynolds the Gentleman. If you've made it this far, you're a real one, and I appreciate you riding with us. See you next episode.